Hey everybody, it's Sunday, April 13, 2014. Hope you're having a great day. And today we're going to talk about the world of eyewear with Mark Craig. And before we get into it, some updates on my site over at Ball of Leather. Uh, I just got back from Singapore last week doing a visa run. Uh, where my wallets were actually stuck in customs over a week. Uh, I was waiting for them to get in here while I was away. And it uh, turns out I actually lost my wallet while I was in Singapore. So it's kind of funny that even though I lost, I sell wallets, <laughs> I actually lose my own wallet. But uh, what happened was that uh, the wallets were stuck at customs here in Vietnam for a week coming from China. And what I tried to do was with my supplier is that we undeclared the amount of units in the box, hoping that I could pay a lower customs fee. But turns out they actually opened up both boxes and they actually manually counted uh, how many wallets were in each box. And they made us resend the new invoice to all parties in uh, Hong Kong, Vietnam, and China. It ended up being actually kind of a nightmare, actually. So the goods were actually here for like a week and a half. They've just been stuck at customs going back and forth. Uh, with all these things and what i realized was that vietnam is a big manufacturing base so they're trying to keep imports out as much as possible because the government wants to protect the local industries here from outside imports so i guess it kind of makes sense but uh, you know once it gets here on monday tuesday i'll include some photos uh, once the wallets are up because these are the actual wallets that people will be getting uh, with the box with the nice linen bag and everything packaged up uh, as a hashtag baller wallet so pretty excited and uh, let's get on with this week's episode Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lin. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Mark Craig, co-founder of Activist Iowa today, where we're going to talk about his business. So what's up, Mark? What's up, man? Good to be with you. Yeah. So uh, real quick, uh, who are you and what do you do? My name is Mark Craig. I am one half of the team here at Activist Eyewear. I'm the creative director uh, and and lead designer and sort of creator of all things visual and, and 2D and 3D. Um, and then my business partner, Anthony Cotaspoti, is uh, more on the business development, sales, uh, inventory management side of things. We started the business just over five years ago and have been just kind of bootstrapping our way up the, the ladder a little bit. So we're, our team is starting to grow a little bit, but um, are st- we're still basically at the core, just a two-man operation. All right, and I understand you guys make eyewear, so uh, what makes you guys different in a nutshell? I've been designing eyewear for uh, 10, 11 years now. And in my early experience in the industry, I was working um, more in kind of like on mainstream fashion and sport brands. I really loved eyewear because it's, uh, as I was trained as an industrial designer and eyewear is a very unique crossover from industrial design and fashion design. I was finding that there was just like a crazy amount of copying and duplication amongst uh, different brands in the industry and and especially in the mainstream brands, but even in the the higher end of the market, more of the boutique end, I think people do a better job of differentiating themselves, but there's still a lot of stuff that, you know, you can kind of just swap, you could swap the logos and no one would ever really know the difference. So our product is special because we have a, a very unique combination of classic style and high performance. So you'll see shapes, silhouettes, um, colors, detailing, things like that, that are, that are very like classically inspired, but executed in a modern way, combined with 
um, very high performance features, which uh, in particular, the thing that's probably most recognizable is our split fit temple technology. And it's basically just uh, the, the, the side of the frame, it's called the temple, branches out from, from one into two behind the ear, two different branches. It's a way to just simply spread out the forces of the frame over a larger surface area of the head so that it creates a better grip for an active lifestyle. Hence, that's kind of our, our, what our name refers to, activist eyewear. And it's also more comfortable. I think we're sort of a ma inspired by mashup culture in a lot of ways. Um, I'm a kind of a music nut on the side. I think like the, the idea of bringing disparate elements together um, into something that really um, becomes integrated and interesting and new. In addition to the, the whole kind of like classic style and high performance combination, I think we also are doing, there's very much of like an old and new map mashup or, or maybe even a past and a future, depending on how you want to look at it. There's definitely, there's lots of like recognizable things in there. Some of the colors and the finishes, the proportions, the sizing, things like that are or just kind of tweaked uh, just enough one way or the other so that we kind of, you know, we're, we're freshening things up and not just um, copying, you know, things from the past like so many other brands yeah, do. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at some other product genres, there's a lot of kind of this retro thing going on in the past couple of years, kind of like with iPad cases, like the book binding style or kind of people going old school with these stationary things like that. So, yeah, I guess maybe it's kind of the hipster movement. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I don't live in the U.S. now, so it's kind of hard to put my hand on it. But you know, just from looking online, you can kind of feel pulses here and there of the whole old school thing coming back. In in um, the men's um, sort of a higher end boutique men's fashion, um, there's a huge heritage movement that's been happening for the past few years. Kind of iconic brands, Levi's, Filson, um, different stuff like that, where there's been, they've never gone away, but they've kind of like had a real resurgence because people are really getting back into that design of the denim or the jacket or whatever that's been around since like the 1870s, you know, it was designed for fishermen off the, the coast of Cape Cod, whatever. But like when there's, I think when there's a story to something, you know, whether in, in that case it's like a historical story, you know, it, it's, there's, there's like a provenance uh, to the product. Or in our case, you know, just like a real sort of deep dive in terms of the design. You don't really get the entire thing in, in one glance. You know, it's, there's a sophisticated mix of elements. We put a huge amount of detail into the product, the packaging, the accessories. We have little Easter eggs kind of of our logo and messages and things hidden around. And so it's like we, I think it's that experience that people have really uh, showed a renewed interest in, um, or like a richer brand experience. So sometimes that sometimes that's like kind of you know it's it's pulling things from the past more directly, such as like an iPad case that looks like some old um, bound leather volume. But it's you know it's people are doing a lot of interesting things, and I think product design these days is actually at at a pretty exciting point because people are really like they're kind of pushing the envelope again you mentioned you started the business for uh you've been in business for about five years what was it like the first year did you guys test out the product how did you guys get up and running like in the first few months it took us over a year and a half to bring our first styles to market our first collection anthony and i met in basically the beginning of 2009 and started working then and then because our concept was really 
pretty forward thinking. It wasn't something that was just going to happen overnight. So there was a lot of testing and experimentation and prototyping and beyond just the, the design of the frames themselves. You know, we we looked at um, all the, the the accessories, the case, rather than doing like a lens cleaning cloth, like a microfiber cloth, we make a, a microfiber handkerchief. And, you know, we do a new pattern each season. And so now that's, that's sort of like um, something we've sort of institutionalized, but figuring out how to execute that in the beginning and what that's each one of those individual stories was about, how it all fit together, the packaging, the brand, the website, everything, it was a pretty heavy lift. So we finally, you know, starting in 2009, beginning, very beginning of 2009, we then finally launched our first collection in like August, September, October, or something like that. Uh, we did a couple shows. We're still kind of a baby brand in a lot of ways, even though we're, we're increasingly grown up, I suppose. But even then, we, we only launched with three different styles in three to four colors each. So we had 10 SKUs in our first collection, which we were quite proud of. It was, you know, a really a hell of a lot of work to, to get that done and, and sort of give birth to this new concept. Um, and people responded well to it. But one of the things we heard over and over was like, this is great. Where's the rest? We're like, uh, what do you mean, man? You know, uh, like th this is the thing. And they're like, okay, well, you know, like th this is really cool, but we need more selection. Um, we launched with only sunglasses. Um, you know, some people were asking us, where's the optical uh, styles as well? You know, the, put your clear lenses, uh, clear prescription lenses in. That was uh, a lesson, a pretty hard lesson we learned early on was you kind of got to go big or go home in a sense, particularly with fashion. Like even if the buyers aren't going to buy every piece in your whole collection, just like anybody, when you go into a store, like you want to have a choice. And our buyers, you know, buying for like small boutique um, eyewear shops uh, all, all around the world, like it's still, a cons I think, a consistent sentiment that um, there, you need to have a sufficient selection in terms of shapes, sizes, colors, materials, all that different stuff, because there really is no one size fits all, particularly in eyewear, because it's something that goes on the face. So it's, it's like, it's so, so, so sensitive. The design is off by like, you know, literally like tenths of a millimeter. It can really uh, mean that it doesn't work sometimes for anybody or at least for a certain market. So as we've kind of grown since then, like it's been really um, a matter of filling out the collection and trying to continue telling the same story, but adding new chapters each, each time, um, each season. Fortunately, we were lucky in that the, the original story that we, that we kind of came out with in, in there in fall 2010, like we have stuck to that, I think very tightly, like we've, we've spun it off in different ways, you know, but still it's like our core story is still, um, there. And it's just been a matter of, sort of fleshing it out more and then obviously doing a better job of marketing the product and, and adding like a lot of visuals, not only um, photos of the product, but photos of models wearing the product and more lifestyle kind of things that are so important to you uh, projecting the image that you want as a brand, um, but are really like, it's, it's, they're not easy things to do um, on their own. 
Yeah, and were you guys still at day jobs starting this business, or did you guys, or were you guys completely bootstrapped by, by then? We were both um, basically working independently. Um, we didn't have like nine to fives. I still consult in eyewear for for other high end brands, mostly here and there, and, and stuff outside of eyewear too, packaging design, other things. Especially with a long development cycle like we had, like there's just no um, substitute to, to keeping the lights on, you know. So we, yeah, we both. Um, have had um, other irons in the fire, so to speak, to 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 make it all work. Yeah, awesome. And when you got your first sale, was it like a B two B wholesale order, or did you guys have an online store, or what was that first one like? Actually, our very first sale was actually to my brother. <laughs> we were launching on like a specific day, like our first stuff was going live on the website at you know I don't know what it was like, let's say October first or something like that. And he texted me at like 6 a.m. that day and he was like, are they live yet? Like, I wanna be the first customer. And you know, we have not done, in terms of like e-commerce through the website and, and going direct to retail, there's a difficult relationship with e-commerce in our industry um, because especially the, the higher end of the market that we're in, the boutique shops really look to have something special that you can't get everywhere else. You know, they respond to the limited edition story, they respond to our unique design and styling and all that kind of stuff. And to them, selling online is a little bit scary. We do sell online, um, especially in markets where we don't have um, retail stores, but we've had to really kind of walk a fine line, promoting the uh, customers, directing them towards the brick and mortar retailers, sometimes at the expense of our e-commerce business, just because that's really our bread and butter. That's where people are really going in, looking for something different. They want to discover something new. They're ready to plunk down like, you know, hundreds of dollars to, to have something that not everybody Everybody else has that has become much more of our focus um, and so in that scenario we are wholesaling to those stores and we meet those people through various means primarily through industry trade shows that sort of you know wholesaling structure is really where we have sort of found the sweetest spot so far so it'll be interesting to see like you know how, how the e-commerce e continues to grow if it continues to grow or if you know the business kind of shifts and our, and our website becomes more about just like marketing and and people learning about the product and then going to an actual retailer to to buy it yeah because i think eyewear really defines someone's image they have that they project to the world and when you just look at it on a website and pictures like will it look as good on me as it does on this model i mean i don't know i want to see it for myself I think it's a great point, actually. Like eyewear is a tricky uh, thing. It really is. It's it's tough to to really know how it's going to look on you on your face. And there are there are companies out there that they have like a try on technology um, where it's like a some sort of little plug in app where you can turn on your webcam on your your uh, laptop. It'll show an image of your face on the screen, and then they overlay the frame onto your face. Most of it is hilariously off base, in my opinion, because it's very difficult to control for the size of the frame. So if you're, depending on how close or how far away you're sitting from your webcam, you know, the frame may look really giant or really, really tiny on your face. And there are people that are working to kind of get around that, but I still think that we're quite a ways away from being able to, to have that be a real viable substitute for actually going into a store where you actually have physical product to sit there and try it on. It's just, there's just no, it's, there's no substitute really. Yeah, exactly. All right. And you said you were going through mostly wholesale channels. So if you look at the pie 
of say your revenues would it be like a 80 20 50 50 breakdown of like wholesale and e-commerce or what, what does it look like in general probably more than 80 20 probably like 90 10 something like that i mean it, the wholesale stuff really dominates we really have been focusing a lot of energy on the eurozone and um, in asia for our growth the past uh, two years, basically. We, we started out focused on the US and we moved then in, into overseas markets. As much as we may be like, you know, sort of savvy guys and, and you know, we can try to reach out to stores um, overseas and, and find, find interesting accounts that we think might be interested in our stuff, people still want to be sold to in their language. You want somebody that that's going to come visit them in their store, um, a, a distributor or a sales rep or whatever, and, you know, kind of do it on their turf, on their terms. So there are companies out there that do kind of like more of a remote shipping kind of thing, you know, shipping straight from the U.S. into um, various countries. But we found that we, we can have a much stronger presence and, and much quicker growth in a new market. If we find a distributor, they know the high end of the market, they've already got the network of stores that they're selling, let's say, a few other brands to. And so then they can they know how that market works, kind of what the ecosystem is. They can go to like, let's say, the top five or 10 accounts around the country to start and say, hey, I've got something really special. You've got to check this out. I'm not taking it to everybody. I want it, I want you to see it first. You know, would you be interested in starting to carry this line? Um, you know, we'll give you an exclusive in your city. So you're, it's just, you know, a smaller city. Maybe there's just one shop for the first year that's carrying our line. We partner with the store um, as a way to kind of come, like break into the market to, for the first time, which makes them feel supported. It, it gets them, you know, to, to push it in, in the stores when people come in more. They're active on social media. Hey, look at us. We've got something special nobody else has. It's like a great way to lay a foundation. But, you know, to tap into that, to know who are those stores to start with um, in that new market, like we don't know what the market is in the Netherlands or whatever. You know, it's like we really need some Dutch guy that's that's smart and savvy and knows that market, understands our product and how to kind of fit those puzzle pieces together. It's been like an ongoing puzzle to solve, to be honest. And even as we expand our footprint, like we're still, you know, we learn new stuff every week and we tweak the model and the process to, so that it's, we're always trying to get better and, and, you know, more efficient. Yeah, so how do you measure say your brand building and marketing efforts when most of your sales is coming from B2B, like say you do like a Facebook campaign or a YouTube campaign, like you're, so you're driving people on to get them locally, right? But how do you measure that uh, kind of on a analytics? In terms of like the actual sales that come from certain marketing or that sort of thing? Yeah, or just say like, say you spend 10,000 this month on Facebook or whatever, like how do you figure out where that's coming from in sales, like at the end market? Uh, you know, that's something that we are continuing to to figure out as we go on. I think that we have a lot to learn and to continue tapping into that kind of stuff and, and really making it work for us even more. It's been a little bit of a tough nut to crack, again, because we're sort of like a, a two-man, a a, the core team is a two-man operation, and we're trying to run this like multinational <laughs> company, essentially, at this point, you know, it's like, you sometimes you have to pick your battles. We're getting more sophisticated on that front, but actually I think that's that exact question 
um, of how do we measure, you know, the things that we're doing, how do we measure what's working, what's not. That's exactly the question that we're going to start asking ourselves um, kind of now and, and going forward. And because we're really gearing up, I think, on, on in social media in a new way that we haven't before. Yeah, because I'm after this because all fashion brands are kind of very brand equity based, right? Like you build the story, this image around the brand. And, and, but the thing that kind of baffles me is that when you're building this online, but then all your sales is offline, it's like there's this disconnect that I guess it's kind of hard to figure it out. Our website and our presence at the trade shows, you know, we know for us, like, I think no detail is sort of too small to obsess about in a lot of ways. I have a, a very highly detailed uh, obsessive kind of approach to design and not only do I try to make everything like really perfect and and you know really try to break new ground in the designs and that sort of stuff but I also look at every additional component of the accessories the packaging stuff that I was describing before all of the the, the marketing every part of our website it's all got to be speaking the same language some of that is to the you know means to an end as far as sales online but a lot of it has to do with pushing our image out into the world in a way that not only the customers can see and respond to but um, we give our our distribution partners and our our sales representatives overseas the tools to they you know they can look at our website and say oh right like okay here's the language i can use you know to sell people on our lens sunglass lens technology or the split a split fit temple technology so i think it's it's sort of like we're actually speaking to different tiers um, of people in our network not only the end the very end customer but the retail stores uh, uh, you know, uh, up a link on the, the chain, also the distributors up a link on the chain and, and so forth, so that it's all kind of, everybody's sort of got the same story. Yeah, and so when you're trying to talk to distributors, how do you balance the exclusivity kind of uh, thing you're giving them and also sales growth? Because obviously you can't just go into a whole city and offer it to 50 people, right? Because then it kind of gets commoditized. So how do you balance that? And growing the business. That's a really good question. I think that, as I mentioned before, you know, we we try to seed the brand in the right way. First stage is choosing the right distribution partners and and finding, you know, that's like a, a sort of like a whole labyrinth of networking and conversations to have. Um, that's something that uh, my business partner Anthony is just like amazing at is getting at. You know, it's like, oh, we okay, we need distribution in. You know, Southern Europe, okay, so let me get out there, let me get on LinkedIn, let me get on the phone, send up smoke signals, send out the, the fighter jets, whatever, try to find those partners. So it's like finding the people that they get what we're doing and they're excited about it, that's like the first step. And then having those people that are knowledgeable about their the, their market. Let's say we've met a distributor and they're like, oh yeah, we love what you're doing. And you know, we're carrying these other brands and they're, you know, they're selling for, $49.99 retail. Like that doesn't make sense for you then start carrying our brand because our stuff, you know, it starts at $325 and US and goes up to almost $500 US. And, you know, we're projecting this whole exclusive story and that's a, that sort of thing. It's like, you know, that it's clearly not the right fit. Getting those right distribution partners that that are knowledgeable about our segment of the market and our, that our story truly resonates with them, that's kind of that next stage. And then really going to, you know, seeding the brand with the right stores in the right cities and the right neighborhoods, all that sort of thing. You sort of have to take a little bit of a longer term view of it because if you if you do it the right 
way and kind of get into those, those what are sort of referred to as like the tastemaker accounts to start with, then, you know, you get into that one store uh, that all the other sort of second tier stores are looking at. And, you know, once uh, they, they want to carry what the, the top tier store carries, then suddenly like, right, if you market to that one store and build a good partnership with them to start with, then suddenly rather than having to go after some of those, um, you know, A minus stores, they look at the A plus store and say, oh, they've got Activist Eyewear. That must be something that's worth looking at. Then they start to come to us. You lay sort of the foundation of that structure in the right way, and it becomes like something that propagates itself over time. It doesn't happen overnight, certainly, but um, we're, it's been proven to us in, in some of the markets where we're strongest that um, that sort of strategy works. And so we're definitely, it's, it's something that we deploy in, in various permutations um, in pretty much every new market that we, we open up going forward mm-hmm. so i'm just looking at your store now you know your glasses one of them i think the yukon one is like 475 so has it been challenging to kind of communicate the value of the product online versus offline the price is not for everybody you know but at the same time like we we produce everything that we make we produce in japan we make it all in limited edition leave no stone unturned in terms of of ways to maximize the the quality and refine the designs and that kind of stuff and the the one you're seeing there is actually a design that we're just launching now this spring there are people that you know get turned off by a higher price tag from day one those just aren't our customers and that's why we don't sell to like bigger box chains where people are you know nobody's looking to like throw away their money but um, people that go into the higher end boutique optical shops that again like that's really our core um, retail channel. They're going in there with, you know, their credit card is, is warmed up <laughs> or their, you know, their pockets bulging and they're ready to spend money. But what they want is something that, that has the, the appropriate value for them. So that's when, the, you know, suddenly when we've communicated, we've taught the store um, the story and explained to them, well, you, you know, check out this, like look at this quality, feel this, like when you put it on, how great it is look at the lens the whole the, all these different details that they can then turn around and and you know in an excited manner um explain why our stuff is so great to the customer then that really that's what drives the sales all the way through to the end because you know we really do have a unique combination of elements in in terms of our designs we're lucky in that we have uh, our, our unique kind of design language is something that again it's you know not only is the price not for everybody but our our designs are not for everybody and and that's exactly what we want you know we're making stuff that's for the individual it's marked with a serial number so you get to see you have literally one of only 347 pieces of this design that, are, that will ever be made. And besides that, it's like, you know, the styling is forward thinking, the, the technologies, the split temple, all that sort of stuff. It is very, very much for our products of design, for somebody that is looking, they're a more forward thinking person themselves and they're looking for something unique that not everybody else has. Like if you dig deeper into it, like someone who can afford $500 glasses probably has to be making, you know, 200,000 plus a year, right? And I think when you dig them to the psychographics, they're looking to buy stuff that makes them stand out from, you know, the guy that buys at Old Navy or kind of your college frat guy, right? And I think ultimately it comes down to a reflection on themselves 
and they're they're not buying it for the price they're buying it for the image that they're different than anyone else and it's making that statement to the world that hey you know i have these glasses that are different you know made in japan serial numbered on it and like boom you know it makes me special, basically. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I think that's that's the right way to say it. That's also where like the brand, kind of the, the, the equity of the brand comes in as well. It's like, okay, we've got these detail, the, you know, the product is physically well-made, it's beautiful, it's detailed. There's like these, you know, the serial number markings, all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, okay, that gets people gone. But then it's like the whole kind of lifestyle image that you're projecting, you know, oh, that's, then the customer looks at that and says, oh, that's something that I want to aspire to. You know, I want to travel the world. I want to be an explorer, um, lead kind of like a, an active lifestyle where I'm like, you know, I'm living in cities, I'm, I'm climbing mountains, I'm, I'm pushing the boundaries of my life. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we really also want to, to, to communicate to people because we are, you know, we look at our products as gear in a lot of ways. It's kind of same as like mountain climbing gear in some sense. It's, it's more fashion based, of course, but, you know, we want to equip people with a product that really functions really well, you know, like it's, it's, it fits really well. It's very lightweight. It's very, it's, you know, the opticians, uh, they can adjust it. So it's, it's customized to the wearer's head. And then it fits into that lifestyle that they aspire to lead, you know, whether they, to what extent they actually do lead that lifestyle or not. Like, you know, that's, that's up to them, obviously. But if you don this, this frame, this jacket, whatever, that makes you feel a certain way, like that's a very transformative thing. And it's something that people are willing to spend money on. One of the biggest challenges for us is as we grow is really, you know, not losing sight of that exclusivity and the, the lifestyle component so that we, we continue to grow but, but don't get ahead of ourselves because at some point, you know, you, I think you start um, alienating those people that really want that, that smaller kind of more niche thing that not everybody knows about. So it's for us, it'll be kind of, you know, riding that line um, between, you know, maximizing growth, but um, kind of still keeping it cool and hip and, and exclusive. Yeah, it reminds me of the magazine Monocle. It's kind of like the guys you guys are going Yeah, after. right, yeah, <laughs> sure. Totally. Yeah, it's great, like, that's a great match. Because like, I think guys that can buy things at these price points, I mean, they can certainly go to Louis Vuitton or Ferragamo, but anyone else can do that too. So it's kind of like this exclusivity right. thing you're going yeah. after. And a lot of those brands, you know, it's, it's really, it's so like logo driven and it's like, a very, I think at this point, like that luxury lifestyle. Look, those guys, like a lot of those brands, have been around for a hundred years, and God bless them. Like they're they're just like juggernauts. Um, but that's the part of the industry, at least in eyewear, that is just like people are just copying each other left and right, copies of copies of copies. And it's like how I can, you know, my logo is bigger than yours. Oh yeah, well now mine's bigger, and it's kind of like this like arms race where it's like guys, like what. You're not really providing value for the customer, in my opinion. Like, if my LV for Louis Vuitton is bigger than your G for Gucci, then it's sort of like, so what? What we're really trying to do is innovate, both in, in like a product and, and sort of technology way, um, but also create something that, like a product that is it's cool because it's not everywhere and because it's like a new idea that's kind of like a little shocking when you look at it at first and but then as you kind of wrap your mind around it a little bit more you're like wow like this is really is you know it's, it's like that band that the first time you hear them you're like 
whoa, like what the hell is this that these guys are doing? They're mashing up, you know, jazz and funk and, and rap and whatever. It's confusing at first because it's, it's truly breaking new ground. But after a while, you know, you're like, oh my God, like it's, it's just, there's something new to discover kind of the longer you look at it, the longer you listen to it. And that's really like helps people to be invested and, and really fall in love. Yeah. Like the whole big box luxury brand thing it just screams amateur hour. <laughs> to an extent. And I mean, you know, listen, there's, there's value in that for some people. And, you know, a lot of people vote with a lot of dollars that that stuff still, still has value. We're not about that. From day one, we really actively have chosen a different path. And, you know, we look at a lot of the, the brands, the IRA brands out there that we admire most. They have like sort of a richness to their designs, their branding, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's just like, it's, it's, it's taking a different path that is, I think, in the end, actually gives the consumer a lot more true value rather than more of like a fleeting value of, you know, this, this logo or, or that logo. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, starting out from day one, this is what you guys stood for. But at the same time, you know, you guys are kind of going the exclusive kind of boutique high end route. So how did you find the early customers starting out? Because certainly you can't just go to your family and friends since, you know, not everyone might be the right customer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was very much going to the industry trade shows, as I mentioned before, and kind of just like getting out there and talking to people, you know, and it's like you get a few stores to sign up at first and then other people you talk to and they're they're interested in it, but they kind of need a little more time to wrap their mind around it. So there's relationship building that goes on and, and so on and so forth. Like I said, I use a term like a baby brand before, like we're still, you know, very much a small uh, startup company in so many ways. And, you know, we're, we're finding certain things that work and, and, you know, some of the earliest stores that we've uh, been working with for a few years now, like they are, you know, really, we've continued to build a relationship with them. And we can point to those early relationships to new stores that we meet and, and say like, hey, you know, what we're doing is not like anything else that you have. Um, but, you know, here's what's worked for us in the past with these other stores. And, you know, let's try this together. Let's partner, partner with you. Help us, like, let us help you and let us give you the tools and, and that sort of thing to, to help you tell our story because we know people respond to it if, if it's told in the right way and if it's presented in the right way. We think of each one of our distributors as partners. We think of each one of our stores as, as a partner. You know, Anthony and I really try to have a direct dialogue with everybody as much as possible, whether that's, you know, going through the distributors to speak directly to the stores, whether that's going through the stores to speak directly to the end consumer. Customer service, I think, is a huge part of it. Making everybody feel like they're being heard, um, you know, both for what's working and what's not. And, and responding to the concerns, like that's, that's a huge deal. And you know, when, when problems once in a while do arise, if you can respond to that in a constructive way and say like, oh, hey, you know, cust customer A, um, customer X, like you, you know, either you're not happy with this product, okay, tell us what you would be happy with. Um, you know, how can we help you to, to have like a great experience with our brand and our product, um, whether that's the store, the consumer, the distributor, whatever. Um, then people are like, wow, like they kind of went the extra mile to, to really um, 
make me happy and to satisfy me, I'm sold. Like it's kind of customer for life kind of thing. If we sell the customer in the right way and they walk out of the store wearing their frame and they're like, damn, like this is great. I want to go tell my friends about this. And then they go to the bar, to the restaurant, to the park, whatever. And they're, you know, they're showing their friends, check this out, man. Like, you know, look at the serial number, yada, yada. And then they become, you know, something we refer to as kind of like a brand ambassador, you know, and they are excited about the product. It works well for them. They love the experience of wearing our products. And so then they tell their friends and it becomes, again, it's very like kind of grassrootsy type of approach. But um, if it's done right, then, you know, they, they continue selling the products in their daily lives because they just they share the story and, you know, they wear it and people see it and they want that, too. Yeah, awesome. All right. And so, you know, looking forward, you know, what do you see as a big challenge growing the business uh, in you know, 2014 and beyond? Uh, we have so much momentum right now. I think it's it's just keeping the growth steady, really, you know, taking the, the new distribution partners that we've gotten in, in recent months and years and continuing to build on each relationship an aggressive but a measured way. As we continue to expand the collection, as we sell out of, of existing styles, is like evolving the sort of design language, but the overall collection in a way that is responding to what's working, what's selling well, what people are, are really saying, God, we really love this, you know, and avoiding uh, mistakes that we've made in the past of, well, here's like a design that we were super pumped about. Uh, when we, you know, we first brought it out and, you know, the market hasn't really responded to it. And, and so really looking at those, um, looking at sales data, listening to the, the stores, the distributors, what's working and what's not, and trying to respond to that in a way that, that really lets us grow the collection and grow the brand in smart a way as possible and, and as targeted a way as possible. Awesome. In, in the eyewear industry, is wholesale generally like 50% off retail like most other places or is there like a different dynamic? It's um, similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, the markup can sometimes be a little bit more. We're finding that there's slightly different formulas in different markets. Um, you know, how can we how can we structure this so that it's it's sort of everybody wins and everybody's making their their margin to keep their business healthy and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, awesome. All right, and so just to wrap this up, uh, was there like a big mistake you guys made starting out that you think other people should avoid? Probably the biggest one was we just, uh, something I mentioned earlier in the conversation was, um, you know, we just, we didn't realize how big of a mistake we were making by not launching like a really a, a larger collection to start with. Um, we invested a huge amount of, of time and money in our first few designs and it just, it was, um, we stunted our growth very early on because we just didn't have enough of a selection and also because in our industry, like, you know, sunglasses, which we, we launched with sunglasses only to start with, but uh, sunglasses are a seasonal item. You know, they sell primarily in the spring and the summer and then sales really slow down for sun in fall and the winter. Not that it stops entirely, but it, it definitely slows down. Whereas eyeglasses, uh, with corrective lenses are something that are you really sells year round. Sunglasses are somewhat more of an elective type of purchase, whereas eyeglasses, like people literally need, <laughs> you know, it's like it's, they they can't get through their day without 
um, their, their, their frames so they can actually see the, the road while they're driving or see the computer screen or whatever. We had to make a pretty big course correction with that. And we quadrupled the size of our collection in one shot in, in spring 2012, I think it was. And that was when we really kind of um, finally got the engine revved up a little bit more. We didn't do our homework enough, I guess, and, and we, we didn't realize how important that was to have that additional selection and to have the, the two segments, you know, both sunglasses and optical glasses. And, you know, if we could go back and do it all over again, we certainly would have geared up more from, from the get-go. But also starting out, you're always afraid that if I make too many designs, they won't sell too, right? Sure. Yeah, it's a huge catch-22. We're straight up. We're a self-funded operation. You know, we drained our savings accounts to, to launch the company. It's scary as hell. You know, you really you think like, wow, like, we'll just do a little bit and we'll see how it works. And we'll do a little bit more and we'll respond to that and so on and so forth. And you'd be idiots if you didn't, you know, if you weren't careful. But at the same time, you know, you just have to um, know that you're not, also being undercapitalized, both in terms of your actual, like how much money you have in the bank to invest and, and keep the company going once it's up and running. And also, you know, the selection in your collection for something like eyewear and in, in the fashion world, like I said, you just have to have a certain amount of diversity in your collection in order for people to, to really take you seriously. So it's like, it's, it's, it's tough. You got riding that line between like offering like enough selection while not, you know, just breaking the bank. It's tough. Yeah. There's a stand-up comedian I follow and he has a saying where uh, nothing big happens until you put your balls on the line. So. Right. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. yeah we've, we've had our balls hanging out the, the, the window of the car for, for a while now. And it's, you know, driving 90 miles an hour, trying to change the flat, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes when I don't get sales, I get really depressed, but then I wake up four in the morning, I get a sale. <laughs> like I just wake up and I start working. Right. So. Right. Totally, totally. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Awesome. All right. So last question, yes. you know, just to wrap things up, where can we find you guys online? Uh, ActivistDiver.com. Um, that's our, our core online presence. We're, we've got a lot of exciting things coming in 2014 and beyond, so stay tuned. Awesome. All right, Mark, thanks again so much for your time, and we'll keep in touch when this goes live. Great. Thanks so much, Terry. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.